listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And i got to tell you something, people. Years ago, when I lived in L.A., a guy I know gave me a shirt of my guest's dojo. And it was this olive shirt with a really cool-looking dragon on it. And I wore it all around Burbank. And his name was on it. And today, he's my guest. And they just came out with an album. Well, Sweet and Lynch is coming out with an album, Heart and Sacrifice, May 19th. He's the uh, creator of Lynch Bucks. And my guest is George Lynch. How you doing, George? How you doing? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from my, uh, my skyscraper in the Bahamas, where uh, I now kind of hold up. Uh, I flew here in my G6. Um, P. Diddy was here earlier. The Pope, Sting, we were hanging out. Uh, that virgin guy, he's not actually a virgin, so he kind of lies about that. But, you know, he makes planes and shit. I forget his name. He's like, like a... Richard Branson. Or... Richard Branson. And that guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Branny, I call him. Now, I, I got to ask you, tell me about the origin of Lynchbox. Where, where did this idea come from? Because it's it's a brilliant idea. It's your new cryptocurrency, right? Well, I, you know, it's just... Don't, yeah, but it's not for everybody. Uh, I don't make it available. It's very exclusive. I have to meet with you. I have to, I have to like you. And then I just I make an executive decision where I'm gonna whether I'm gonna pull out that napkin and write your name on the napkin. But these are going to be very valuable someday. I mean, it's not even a it's, it's, it's a, you know they have currencies like bonds and treasuries the government does or some shit. I don't even know that much about this stuff. But anyways, but you know this is less risky than that. That's that's the that's the great thing. So you tell your wife when you're pulling out that 10k or 100k to give me. I mean, you're not giving it to me. You're, you're doing yourself a favor. Hello. You're welcome. And then, you know, you give me that money and you get these napkins and returns or whatever I write it on. And, and these are negotiable for uh, virtually any Lynch product that uh, is for sale on my website. So if I go to your website with my $10,000 investment of Lynch Bucks and I go to your website and I want you to autograph stuff will that cost me more lynch bucks or will i be able to sit there with my initial investment and say okay i or are you going to charge me more so if i go to your website how do i how do i use my lynch bucks and do i have to pay for shipping and handling with my lynch bucks i mean you gotta pay for shipping and handling anything in the world i mean there's no free lunch here i mean but but well you're you're buying something that's going to increase in value Plus, you're getting an enjoyment out of that. I mean, where do you get that in life? You, drive, you buy a car, you drive it off a lot, it loses 20% value instantly. And then, you know, you do this and that. So with this stuff, I mean, you take those, you, for instance, for instance, let's say you like my calendar. And there's a different pose of me in every month, you know, kind of like Burt Reynolds, right? So you do that. Uh, the, the, the December, I'm new, which is cool. <laughs> Are you in a bear? Are you in a bear rug? <laughs> it also comes with a little magnifying glass, so you can see all the details <laughs> of the anatomy. Uh, but uh, 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 full disclosure: the photo has been digitally enhanced, so uh, you know I don't really have abs. But anyways, so you get this thing, and and you're like, okay, over the calendar, it does not next year. It doesn't work. You might want to still keep it because it's, you know, you want to see those pictures of me every month and get your, it's good to, or what I like to do is I like to put it up in my bedroom because it gets my wife in the mood. You know what I mean? 
Well, she goes, uh, uh, honey, 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 uh, put it on uh, uh, August, please. But shouldn't, shouldn't I, should I get it for my wife? Because if it puts your wife in the mood, what if it puts my wife in the mood? Then I'm sitting there thinking she's only in the mood because she's looking at your airbrushed abs. That's sort of, that's sort of not fair to me. No, that's not how it works because you know how sometimes a, a human being can be so attractive that it'll stimulate both sexes? And that's how this works, you know. I, I and it doesn't mean you're gay. It just means that you're a human being. Well, now that you're saying that, if it doesn't stimulate me, I think we should come up with a George Lynch Viagra packets, just with your guitar. We get, and I well, think no, you, you can make money off that. Okay, first of all, full disclosure: we we can't be having these discussions uh, in public because it, you know, these are inside business discussions. But I will say that. Uh, you already jumped the shark there. Uh, we, I have the George Slim, Mr. Scary Viagra pack, but I went one better. What I did was, I, I, it's called Groofagra. So what I did was, I got, you know, I took a, a pile of Viagras on my coffee table, and I emptied a pile of Roofies on my other, on the other side of the table, and I duct taped, I cut them in half and duct taped them together, or glued them together, I can't remember exactly. I put them back in the bottle, and I call them, yeah, Mr. Scary's Roofagra. So this way, you got a date rape drug and a Viagra combined, and uh, let's see, how does that work? I forget. Oh, I think you give them to yourself, kind of knock yourself out so you can take advantage of yourself or something like that. There I don't you, know. There you go. You know, I, I want to ask you, though, on a serious note, tell me more about Mr. Scary Guitars, because, you know, you know, we can, we can joke around, but you're, you're an entrepreneur. You may not admit it, but you're an entrepreneur because you do all this different stuff. You're, besides being a financial wizard with the box, you know, the lynch box, which is going to take the people, this is going to take the world by storm. I'm telling you, you know, people are going to go, I need my lynch box. So you're going to see Jimmy Walker doing, instead of reverse mortgage commercials, he's going to be doing lynch buck commercials and you're going to buy them. But now seriously, tell me in a serious note, tell me about Mr. Scary Guitars because it's pretty fascinating. Uh yeah, uh, well, I was uh, about, I, geez, I was just looking back yesterday at some of my, my, my original orders. Uh, I think I've been doing uh, Mr. Scary Guitars for about 13 years now, 12 or 13 years. And uh, uh, what happened was I, I had some uh, issues, uh, back issues, serious back issues, and uh, was immobile for a while. I was in a wheelchair, so I was trying to, uh, it's kind of going crazy, and, and uh nothing to do um i actually did a couple shows in a wheelchair but i took the wheelchair and had it all modified so it had like pipes on it like a tractor trailer with smoke coming out and flames on the side you know try to make it part of the show and that was actually pretty dumb didn't really work out the way i imagined in my imagination but then the other thing i did was i i, I started getting some um some guitars from esp and i and they gave me a little space there and I would go down there and I would just start working on these guitars. Just kind of, They were all finished guitars. So I would like take all the paint off and I would do various things cosmetically to these guitars. And uh, it's a really good friend of mine, a guy who works at, uh, he's the president of Victoria's Secrets. He, uh, he hit me up. He goes, dude, I, I really like that. He goes, are you, you know, should I get one of those? I, got, I didn't think of that. You know, I was like, well, maybe that's sure. Why, why not? So he was my first customer. And it started turning into a business. And uh, so I took a year of, of uh, luthier classes and uh, 
and uh, started working out of back, my backyard, really, is where I started doing it for many years. And then uh, I got a shop, and then I got a bigger shop, and uh, that's where I'm at now. I, I have a couple employees, and um, it's a pretty uh, fun little boutique family business. You know, I, I don't do a lot of guitars, but uh, they're all handcrafted, and, and, and uh, they're, they're guaranteed for life. Uh, I just don't tell people whose life. Right. But based that on my grandma, great-grandmother Agnes's life, actually, if you read the fine print, the only way you can reveal that fine print is to pee on it. It's this thing I learned in prison. But uh, just kidding. Anyways, yeah, they're all uh, they're all really like, uh, all my guitars are really very Sandemus, Charvel, that era. You know, classic Sandemus, uh, uh, Lynn Ellsworth, you know, Wayne Charbel, Grover Jackson, that, that whole vibe. Cause I spent a lot of time out there when I was a young man and, and uh, learning the craft and picking up spare bodies and necks and hanging out and watching them build and picking stuff, you know, out of the bone pile that I, that they let me have, or I could buy real cheap and uh, would put guitars together for myself. And that's really where it came from. So they're very, very, very playable, very conscious of the tone wood and the effect it has on all the pickups are hand wound. It's all kind of the that's that early '80s, late '70s, early '80s, San Dimas, Southern California vibe. So it's me, it's Eddie, it's you know, uh, uh, D. Martini, and Jakey. It's that that whole thing. All that's what we were all doing back then. You know, Randy. Um, it just carries that that legacy on. Now, when you when you when you start putting them together. When you start building, do you have a, a, a pure vision in the very beginning of what it's going to be? Or do you do a little improv in the middle and sit there and go, I might change this? I mean, how, how does that process work? Well, I have two different ways of working. Uh, I, have, I have developed specific models at this point that people can order. Um, and uh, they look at their previous versions of those models I've done and, and some people are just like, I just love what you do. Just do anything. Uh, I'm happy. Uh, build what you would build for yourself. They're, they're not very particular about any of that. They trust me. And then there's other people that are very particular about they want, they want certain things. I want this color. I want this inlay. I want these neck dimensions. And I accommodate them as well. Based on a model. Though. Then there's another thing that I do, which I'm leaning towards more now, which is I call spec guitars, which is when I have some time off, like between tours uh, in May, we've, we've got a couple days off that me and my tech are going to go in the shop and start to have, put some bodies up and have some fun and build some guitars. We just start with a, a blank slate and we just do whatever. And we, and we, and we swap necks and parts and maybe I'll have some old necks and parts from my, some of my older guitars. Or we mix and match and we, just tape and paint and carve and you know whatever we don't we're not sure what we're going to do we we get there and we start riffing on different ideas so last time we were there i did a tree of life carving it was a purple and gold thing came out great uh we did a few eddie tributes which were every color eddie scheme on one guitar with the taping and all that um uh i did one called the desert rose which is all hand carved barn with a carved rose in on one side and a kind of a, 
skull with a bandana countersunk into the bit butt of the guitar and you know uh, shotgun bullet shells countersunk along the edges as rivets as binding and you know i don't know that we did a, oh here's another thing we did which didn't quite work out but it, we ended up selling the guitar and everything i mean i've never not sold the guitar so everything i make i sell but uh we went down to Venice to see how those guys do those space pictures. Right. I don't know if you ever seen Yeah. And you see, you can see it online now. So I, I, we, 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 we got, ah, so we went out and got the different bowls and cups and lids and, and the spray paint. And, and, and we just did stuff out of cardboard. We tear cardboard to make mountainscapes and stuff. And we did some of the, a couple of those. I think we did one or two. Uh, those didn't sell right away. Those took a little while. Cause yeah. But, uh, and then I did another one, which actually was really cool. It was a desert scene. We used uh, fake barbed wire as binding. What I did was took lamp cord, and I twisted them and painted the lamp cord and distressed it and uh, countersunk it into the uh, you know perimeter of the guitar. And it looked exactly like a, a, a barbed wire, but it doesn't hurt you. And it's also countersunk into the guitar. So, And then uh, you know we just did a, a desert scape on there with the cactuses and the coyotes and the sunset and the mountains and stuff that came out really. And then you know the pickups are all whatever you know we we do crazy wines you know weird P ninety things or filtertrons and you know just really interesting um, you know distressed. I used actually burlap on a, a set I just did, which really kind of matched the guitar very rustic and you know material was. Kind of, no, but I've never seen anybody do that. We waxed the burlap so it wasn't, we wouldn't move. Uh, we used screening and, and, and different, just all kinds. I'm starting to get into using bone, uh, stabilized bone, like these for uh, 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 knife handles. So I found some prehistoric bone somebody had gifted to me, and it turned out in some bobbins for a pickup. And, and uh, all our pickups are made uh, to be, you know, degaussed and. and they're very uh, PAF, you know, 50s type Gibson pickups or whatever we're trying to emulate at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are all we use the old wire, uh, we use the old Alnico magnets and all that kind of stuff. So it's all authentic and, you know, real traditional stuff. We use hide glue. And, you know, we don't use modern materials. All the paint we use is nitrocellulose. Uh, lacquer so it's very thin and off gases and sounds better over the years you know all the wood is is uh, highly selected tone woods you know that i get from all sorts of different places but um so yeah you know the whole thing is pretty well thought out and they're magical instruments and they're you know instruments for life so people love them when they get them uh the only downside is i'm so freaking busy that i because I'm doing all these damn interviews that I don't have time to go build guitars because I'm making so many records and touring so much. So I've got nine albums coming out this year. I leave Friday to go leave for a month. I'm going to Haiti to play. And, uh, and there's a, there's hap just happens to be an insurrection, a, a civil war, and a cholera outbreak they mentioned. So the State Department says level four warning, do not travel. So I'm like, can I bring a machete or do they give them out there on the boat? 
Dude, just throw them, throw them lynch bucks, man, and you'll quell any audience. Anyone will, you'll, you'll be the, you'll be the next, you'll be the next, uh, whatever is the prime minister of Haiti if you have lynch bucks. I'll be, I'll be the next baby doc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me about the new album, Sweet and Lynch, Heart and Sacrifice. You tell me about it because you have a very good way with words. You like to tell stories, and I enjoy that because it makes it easy for me. So, tell me about the new album. Well, I just love talking about myself, so that's really cool that we're doing this. (laughs) I always feel bad for the interview afterwards because it's like you know having a conversation. Imagine in real life meeting someone. Any conversation going like this? It happens to me all the time. (laughs) Yeah, what's your job to sit there and listen to the other people brag about themselves? But I mean, what a unbalanced, uneven, stupid exchange. I mean, just uh, just talk about. I guess that's why they called it an interview, though, right? Tell me about the new album, then. Tell me about yourself. Tell me, brag about the new album. Brag about it. This is your time to brag. No, I'm not going to say, hey, how this happened, George. I'm going to say, brag about the damn album. Well, you know how there's been all these other albums in the world up to now? And they're like, whatever, you know, Led Zeppelin and this other one and a bunch of other ones, Pink Floyd stuff, I think. So now there's this one. So now it's like a paradigm shift. So all things, you know how there's uh, BC and AD or whatever it's called in the the calendar? Because there's that point, that thing that happened in time that bifurcated all of history forever, right? It's this transformational thing that happened with Jesus, I think. So that's what this is. This is like, this is kind of like what Jesus did for humanity but on a musical level. Well, that's good to know. So there you go. Now tell me more about the album. Tell me, tell me more about the album. How did you? How did you and How did you and uh, Mr. Sweet start playing together? Under yeah, probably underselling it here, but understating it. But there's been no album like this ever in history. It's more than an album. I mean, it's it's more than music. It's it's an it's it's just this kind of eclectic experience that will change your life and and uh, make all your wildest dreams come true, increase your bank account, your genitals will increase in size, I mean, your sex, you, you know, people like you more, uh, you'll be incredibly happy all the time, you'll live much, much longer, it has certain frequencies, do things to your organs to kind of rejuvenate them, much like growth hormone, but it does it with musical waves. Yeah. I now, not making, I'm I, got a question, I got a question for you. What happens... If I put on the album and have your calendar on the wall, if you got the calendar, the coffee cup, the lynch bucks, and the album, that's called the, the that's that's called the triple banger. Uh, or, or I forget what they call it. It's like the the trifecta. But yeah, <laughs> got the whole package right there. Yeah, uh, but pretty much at that point, you could probably. Just quit your job for sure. Um, stop paying your rent. Uh, you know that. You know that. You know that QAnon queen in Canada. Now tell me, where, where people just follow her. She tells them, "Stop paying your electric bill. Don't pay your rent. Give me all your stuff. Your RVs, your cars, your bank accounts. Everything's going to be fine because QAnon's coming, and all this isn't going to matter anymore. And people are doing that now. They're 
lives are all fucked up and miserable and they're all pissed off at her. She says, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be all good. Well, that's kind of what my thing is. That's, yeah. that's, that's how me. Except mine's not bullshit like that bullshit QAnon. Yours is real. And I, I read about it because I saw in the National Enquirer a picture of you and it was like, he is Hello. the next coming of Anthony Robbins. That's what they said. You were the next coming of Anthony Robbins. Yeah, who's Anthony Robbins? How you come on that big motivational speaker guy? He lives in a castle. They said, move over, Anthony Robbins. Here comes George Lynch. And he was holding a calendar of you, which is fascinating. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he used to he used to be my gardener. Okay. Yeah, and I fired him because he kept fucking up and uh, picking all the good stuff and leaving all the bad stuff. I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Where'd you go to gardening school? Now, do you have a, a shrub shaped like you in front of your house? Uh, yeah, it's called Topiary. And uh, and actually, that Tim Robbins guy, whatever his name was, uh, used to shape him. He had the clippers and uh, the hedges. He would trim the hedges. That was his job. And he said he went to Topiary University in France or something, and which ended up being a lie, which is why I had to get rid of him. And, uh, you know, like, where's your certificate? And he would make these topiary uh, uh, hedges of, of me uh, doing different things in my stages of my life. Like the time I liberated uh, uh, that island, you know, from the bad people, uh, remember? Uh, and then when I designed that spaceship, that changed everything were, you know, kind of like who that's, who's that guy that's copying me now? He, he, he's named after a smell. Gary Musky. Busey. Is it Gary Busey? Musky. Musky. Musky or something. Guy needs to take a bath. But yeah. Uh, so anyways, I forget what we're talking about, but uh, it was probably about me, right? Oh yeah. I have to talk about you. It's, it's an interview with you. That's what I say. I'm only as hip as my, hip as my guest. So we have you about the album right yeah well no tell me about the album no in all honesty i want to hear about the album because i i plan to play it and look at the calendar of you and just drink a beer and have a great night okay get on the album as a disclaimer again you have to pee on it to reveal the writing it's a prison if i pee on the the album it's going to warp and then it's not it's going to sound like crap you gotta you gotta you gotta talk to your marketing people to get that straightened out you pee on the cover, not on the album okay. itself. <laughs> the writing, you know where the letters are? Okay. Listen to the round black part. No, so tell me, no seriously, that, let's get serious for a second. How did you meet How did you meet Michael Sweet? And, and tell me about how this album came about. Because I'm, I'm fascinated with your, uh, your, that you are a leader of a free country, which makes me, you know, and you were an astronaut. I didn't know you were, like, you were in Neil Armstrong's, you were a baby. He was holding you when he walked on the moon. But tell me about the album, because that's we all know about your your historical your historical figure. But tell me about this album, Heart and Sacrifice. Uh, right. Well, uh, Michael is uh, a, a devout Christian and has a history of uh, playing rock music, and uh, the, the 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 subject is is uh, it's about uh, dispensing with this gospel um, that he subscribes to, believes in, supposedly. So he, he's this uh, Christian evangel- evangelic, evangelic Christian uh, minister, preacher, you know, spreading the word, the good word. I'm uh, sort of a freedom, free thinking, I would, I would call myself an atheist and uh, 
you know, subscribe to, uh, you know, a different form of thought process. I don't believe in wishful thinking and magical thinking. So I'm not saying that to disparage what, what he believes, because I understand why people believe religion, have religious beliefs. And I think in, in some cases it's very um, necessary and helpful uh, for people who have major problems in their lives or maybe be in a very bad position in their lives, you know, economically or, you know, they're just uh, drugs and, and just life, you know, life's hard for a lot of different reasons. Uh, my problem on a practical level with religion, not to get into the weeds on this, though, is, is that when organized religion on a larger level really deals with the real problems facing the earth and, 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 and human beings on it <laughs> in the most fundamental way, I'll climb aboard. I don't need to believe in the in the, the silly afterlife stuff or any of that silliness, but I, I, I'll, I'll get on board with people helping people. I, I really would love that. And I think churches should be the number one organizations on the forefront of those changes. And when they're not, I think they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. They should lose their tax status. You know, they shouldn't be flying around in golden jets with stables of horses for their kids and, and you know, with a big you know, giving a big fuck you to poor people and, and everyone else that doesn't believe the way it's subscribed to what their silly beliefs. So, um, yeah, so, uh, so, so I, I go to church because I find it interesting because I, I'm a, just a student of the, you know, of the human condition. I, I'm just in history and politics and, 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 and philosophy and, and, and metaphysics and, you know, physics, whatever. I, I, I just, any, any, intellectual process that I can that I can uh, tune into to try to understand more about what makes the human condition what it is uh, is fascinating to me so uh, and I go to church and you know I'll cry in church and I and, and I see people trying to find something better and search for yearn for something better for themselves and for each other and 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 for their families and just see the pain of angst of human existence is very powerful effect on that, you know? So, so I go to those places, uh, to learn and to understand, uh, more about what I don't know. And, uh, and I went to a, 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 a Pentecostals, a white kind of more of a white, I, I usually don't go to those. I usually go to, I don't like mega churches. I like going to like, the very poor, you know, uh, Catholic churches in, in poor parts of the world or, or uh, 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 you know, uh, praise churches, you know, or gospel churches in black communities. I used to play, actually, I was a guitar player when I was a teenager in a, a New Haven uh, Pentecostal gospel church in Compton, California. It was all black. <laughs> and we played uh, revivals, tent revivals out in the parking lots of the uh, so it was the drive Compton drive-in theater was one uh, on Rosecrans and we, and these, these events were more high energy than any heavy metal concert I've ever played since. I mean, was, these were 25 minute exhausting jams. People, you talk about, I mean, people were just going nuts, hitting themselves with chairs and brooms and speaking in tongues and dancing all over the place. It was intense. And uh, so it was a great, was probably the greatest musical experience of my life. I'll never, I'll never, it'll never get better than that. 
So, uh, but I went to uh, I went to a a church. What was it? I, I can't remember. I was on the road, but we were doing a show with Striper, and Michael was at the church. And Michael, they knew him there, and so he was asked to come up, and he spoke some words about his his ministry and how they use their music as a vehicle for the message and to reach you know fans and stuff. And, and uh, so we started this conversation about that, and then uh, that led to, well, why don't we do a record and, and, and sort of convey some of these things we're having in this conversation through our music and use this record as a sort of a vehicle to express these two opposing ideas, where Mike thought, well, they won't be opposing ideas. They'll be, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. They'll kind of work together to, for a form of betterment of the common good. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, I don't see how that could really work because that's trying to say like capitalism and democracy can work together. No, they can't. Eventually one's going to have to give because they're, they're counterintuitive. And so, uh, so, but we started working together. We did the record that the, the original idea concept with Sweet and Lynch was it to be a concept record, and 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 I would write half the messaging and in, 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 in form of lyrics, and, and Michael would write the other half. The problem arose when we got in the studio. I was like, but say, wait, who's going to sing the atheist lyrics? The Christian guy? Well, I can't ask him to do that in any good conscience. So, and I don't see, you, yeah, I don't sing. People pay me to not sing. Because I used to have a job as a, I was a, like one of those mariachi guys in a Mexican restaurant in San Antonio down by the Riverwalk. I was one of those guys with the big guitars. And people would literally pay me not to play. They said, what do we have to pay you to not to go away from our table? <laughs> so that wasn't going to work. So we couldn't figure it out. So we reverted back to just, you know, the easy solution, which was, you know, I'll write the music, meaning not the lyrics or the melodies, just all the underlying music and then I'll hand it over to Michael and Michael write his songs about how he loves little baby Jesus and his wife which is what every single song is about did you want to put do you ever want to put any of your input into it though of the lyrics I mean, can't you guys just sit down and come to a happy median I mean I know as you said it sounds crazy with the two the two it'd be like having a hardcore conservative and a hardcore liberal sitting down and coming up with an idea but I've hung out with the two of them before and in my old place in Burbank and we would hang out and bullshit and drink. And at the end of the night, they would at least be saying, Hey, you know what? I'll give you a little pass on that. I sort of see your point. Can't you do that? Um, well, well, we never tried, but, uh, how would you ask somebody who, passionately believes in their worldview to sing something opposed to that and be convincing not completely opposed though but there has to be like any anything you argue about there's always a little inkling that you're going to agree with someone there's got to be a part of it it's like there's got to be a little part because you know what i sort of understand that and go from there i i get that and and that's why i suggested earlier when we were talking i said well listen if if churches could be a force for political good, meaning 
support policies that are good for most of the people most of the time. And that should be the test. Good for most of the people most of the time. Raise the floor, lower the ceiling. We don't need multi-billionaires because it is a closed loop. It is a, you know, uh, I mean, you know, for, for, for this amount of uh, uh, economic inequality to exist, then you have to create uh, an underclass. And then what, then, then we're tasked with how do we take, how do we take care of this underclass that we've created this, this unfair economic system. It's full of inequality because we've created ridiculously wealthy billionaires who now rig the system and make the rules themselves, the tax rules, the, you know, every other kind of rule, kill unions, things that help other people, oh, kill universal health care, kill this, kill, kill, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, uh, oh, school vouchers now. So rich people can go to special little schools. They don't have to go to public schools. So now we're all not mixing together and hanging out together, you know, and we get the rich people over here and the poor people going to the shitty schools over here that are underfunded uh, because we have vouchers and, and, and healthcare is the same to everything. It's all the same. It's all about money. It's all about money. So how do you fix that? Well, you fix that. Let's have the church help fix that. Because how many Christians do we have in this country? Many. Percent of the country. And who do they back? Trump. Who's the worst at all those policies I just spoke about? <laughs> he wants to destroy the environment. He only cares about rich white people. He's a bigot. He's a racist. He doesn't have a clue. Guy's never been on a trail in a mountain. Save his life. He has no uh, empathy for the natural world or for other people. He's the least empathetic, compassionate person on the planet. We Not intelligent. Why do we have this person as a, as a leader of the supposed free world so you know but the church is back him okay so how does that happen so okay michael sweet you've got a you've got a mouthpiece into the church's ear let's use that to make the world a better place fairer place more equitable place uh let's let's start doing things let's start doing good work here and right, let's do that what does that mean you tell me i mean about forget about Jesus being the savior by the cross and then buried, raised up, blood, drank vampire souls, lived forever in a cloud playing a harp with for eternity with little baby Jesus, and people burn and suffer for eternity because of what they didn't do, what what thing they got to do this thing, it's complicated. But all the other religions believe all a bunch of other stuff, but. My God can beat up your God. God is an America. I mean, what? And all this is ripped off from other religions for thousands and thousands of years. It's all just a mess. It's not. It's all just made up, and it's all made up for power and money. You don't see that? Okay. Well, anyways, so let's take. There are good aspects to religion. Uh, let's take those and make the world a better place for all of us. And we won't get rewarded for this. The reward will be that the world will be a better place generations beyond us after we're gone how about let's do that now that's will michael get behind it i don't know let's to talk to him well how about but, how, what's your what's your input on the new album are you guys getting a happy medium i mean what is the met do you have a message in heart and sacrifice uh i i i would say that uh i you know 
I think that I think that the message now. This is a question that you have to have this discussion. You have to have with Michael because I'm honestly not that heavily involved with the vocals. Um, it's not my thing. So uh, I'm not a poet, uh, and I know it. <laughs> and your feet show uh, it. They're long fellows. Yeah, yeah there, there, there was a there was actually a record that I did. I've done a, a few. There's been a few moments in my in my creative life in making records that I. Um, very passionate, and and I and it was like a water faucet got turned on on like a fire hose, and I was actually just flowing like crazy. I had so many ideas because it was uh, issues connected to what we were just talking about, and I did a film called Shadow Nation, which is about the, the you know the history and the dilemma of the Native American first Americans, Native Americans, and and, and specifically in this country, but well pretty much anywhere indigenous people's plight anywhere uh this film was called shadow nation we had a band called shadow train and comprised of um some you know native native americans and some not it was a mix but uh but we were all activists and we traveled all to different reservations and met with all kinds of different people and tried to come up with solutions like the same problems i just addressed when we were talking about christianity and um this is all tied together, you know. And so uh, I wrote uh, the majority of the messaging on that record, and I couldn't stop writing. It was like automatic writing. <laughs> I had the melodies, I had, and the singer, Greg Anaya, who's just a wonderful singer, and just passed away a few years ago. Um, but uh, Isleta Pueblo, pure, pure blood Isleta Pueblo from New Mexico. And, um, he was an insane singer, and he uh, uh, was a Christian and had a hard time singing what I was writing. And we went around a few times around that. And some had to make some compromises because he just said, like, I can't sing this stuff and go back to my tribe. <laughs> they'll, you know, they'll kick me out. Uh, so it was tough, but... Uh, I did write all that and uh, majority of that, and um, it was very heartfelt. And it didn't move a needle. Nobody cared. Didn't change anything. So, if it didn't change anything, well, now I want to get back to you and Michael's relationship because you're so a different view. You're different viewpoints of religion. This is your third album together. So did you like working with each other that much that you said, let's keep doing this? Because a lot of times, if you have differing opinions and different things and you work together and you try it, it's like people have been married three times to the same person. Like you do it and it doesn't work. Then you go, well, you know, maybe we'll get back. And it doesn't work. So why, what, what makes the relationship with you two special that you can work together? Is it just a respect for each other's talent and what you do? Well, I think on a purely musical level, like if we were in the 80s and we were in the docking era uh, and we had joined forces, taking the messaging and putting that aside for a second, I think uh, it does work chemistry-wise on a musical level and people like it. Uh, it has it has kind of that same formula that, that we had in dock and that balance between melodic rock we got some ballads. We got some harder stuff. It's all got hooks. It's all accessible. Uh, you know, it's not too cerebral. It's not, but it, it's you know, uh, 
and then it's got a little edge to it. You know, there's things that I make sure I put in there that's a little, a little bluesy, a little a little more challenging, and maybe some time changes and some some riffs that are a little more outside. So it's so it's all that kind of accessible stuff without being dumb. So I'm still like so still interesting, and I'm still pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, so it's a, a really interesting, you know, fine balance and. Uh, uh, and it works on that level. Great. You know, cause Michael obviously can sing his ass off and, uh, and, uh, that works for me. I know what I'm writing for. I'm like, okay. So I was writing with Don, you know, I'm writing with, with Michael. I mean, there's this, there's the kind of operatic, uh, you know, this kind of voice. Uh, I know what I'm doing here. I'm not going to do a progressive record. I'm not going to write funk music. I'm not going to write <laughs> you know, anything crazy, it's not going to be, uh, uh, you know, Meshuggah or anything. It's going to, it is what it is. So I know my parameters. I know who, who's, who I'm writing for, what singer. And I just put that in the back of my mind subconsciously and I just push go and, and it works. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I said earlier that I'm not a singer, but I am, and I am the world's greatest singer in my mind. Right. I, Things you know, I didn't listen to guitar players when I was growing up, or, or even now. Uh, I mean, I listen to singers, and invariably Motown and 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 R and B and soul and gospel and funk, and whatever's great. You know, I mean, I just love great singers. You know, and my guitar, I try to be a singer, but I can't sing, so I play guitar, and I try to sing through it. And but I hear vocals in my head, like the world's greatest singer. I'm Paul Rogers in, in my head. And, and it's all there. So when I'm writing, I'm writing for that singer in my head. And that's why every singer I've written with, they, they've written with, they all, uh, most of them mentioned that. They said, you know, when you write, you know, you're really leaving those spaces and, and leading us with melodies and, and, and almost creating the melodies with your parts so that it's real easy to write to because, you know, you're hearing what we want to, what we would want to put here. And I go, well, that's because that's what I'm hearing in my head, you know. Uh, and that works really well with Michael, you know, because he's, I know what he's going to want to sing there, and I write the part for that, you know. And it, I don't even have to think about it, actually, very much. I just, um, so uh, I just have this sense of, of writing to to sort of accommodate melodic singing. You know, I got a question for you. You said you grew up, you were listening to singers. What made you pick up the guitar then? Just because of the fact that you said, I don't know a good singing voice, but I, I love music. I mean, if you, you know, most people, because you're very, you've influenced a lot of guitar players. You know, you're, you're a guitar, a legend. People say he's a legendary guitarist. But you're someone who, when you were younger and were listening, what made you eventually pick up the guitar that if you were just listening to singers and not guitarists at first? Yeah, I didn't really have any aspiration to be a singer it's just that i would listen to singers and horn players uh, je- uh you know uh sax sax players and, and trumpet players and, and and bass players you know jazz bass players you know i mean i just I, I didn't really the guitar wasn't a thing that i was really i, I that i thought i was gravitating to i just it was just the ubiquitous instrument that was available everywhere to everybody and it was easy and it was sort of the thing that you played to play music you know it wasn't keyboards wasn't 
xylophone, wasn't a auto harp, it was a guitar. Yeah. So I got a cheap, uh, a cheap little guitar at Wallach's Music City and did, didn't even know what a chord was. I, I, I actually thought when you put your hands on the guitar, because I'd watch you know, on TV or something or see a picture and I'd see, I go, well, how do you do this? And I, and I see the hands, the left hand on the neck. And I thought, I thought what they were doing was covering up the strings. They didn't want to make sounds, leaving the other ones open and then use your right hand to strum everything. And the ones you kept revealed were the ones that would resonate. And that's what I thought. But then I thought, why are they moving it up and down? That doesn't make sense. And it took me like, took me a year to figure that one out. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I started putting it together, but, uh, and then of course I started falling in love with guitar, but yeah, my, it wasn't my, my motivation wasn't, I wanted to be a guitar player. It was just, uh, I loved all this music I was listening to and wanted to be in some, just somewhere in the mix. It's like you're at an orgy, you know, maybe you're not the main guy, but you know, at least you're kind of like, Somewhere in the mix, you know, like around the edges, you're getting a hand job or something. Well, the last orgy I was at, the last, they had a George Lynch calendar, and we couldn't get any of the women because they kept staring at it and hooking up with each other. So thanks a lot, George. Thanks for ruining my orgy. Jesus, God damn it. What the hell? There's, a, there's an upside and downside to the calendar. That's why there's a disclaimer at the bottom. Again, written in invisible ink that you have to pee on to reveal. <laughs> Now listen, I always talk to my guests. I you know, I know you've you're asked all different different questions, the same stuff. Here's what I like to talk to my guests about. Tell me a few good stories from the docking age and from the lynch mob age. Just tell me some good stories that you may not tell people because stories fascinate me. I'm not gonna sit there and go, Why'd you guys break up? Why'd you get together? I'm not gonna do that. Tell me some damn good stories, because good stories are always fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, Jesus. I mean, so Dokken was a band that uh, they were called Airborne and they would op- they'd open up for a lot of bands in Southern California, and including us. So we'd share the bill with them on some stages um, and some venues. So we knew who they were. Uh, Don was kind of notorious for stealing other people's songs. So I remember we and listen, he's going to read this and going to get mad, but whatever, you know who cares 35 40 years ago <laughs> but we would, we would show up at these shows playing with them and they would be inside sound checking playing our song already <laughs> and we'd look at each other and we're like these guys are playing night boys so our band was called the boys at the time and it was like what and we get up on stage and, and 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 so that would happen and then they would play other songs that were that we knew about, but they would be really hit like deep tracks from bands we all love, like Judas Priest, but off the very first record, but not a hit song, some obscure song. And they'd play that, but Don would say that he wrote it. <laughs> then I remember we, we finally went on tour in Europe and we were doing these, you know, out of a van, a rented van that we weren't paying for and we we're sleeping in. Well, Don had himself hooked up at some with some teacher in some nice villa, so he was all taken care of. But the rest of us had to fend for ourselves, so we 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 got some room. It was like a boarding house for Czechoslovakian refugees that were perennially drunk, 
and and it was in this attic, so we had to go up. And you know, the stairs are not like stairs in America in, in these places that, you know, the stairs are start kind of normal and then they get small. And by the time we were up at our attic, these stairs were like for you know they were like the gerbil stairs. You know, they're like you know an, an inch and a half. And uh, dude, I was treacherous, treacherous. And we get up there, creaky, creaky. Doors didn't lock, so we go in this room that we all shared. Uh, Juan Crucier, who's in now in Rat. Uh, was our first bass player, Mick Brown, and myself. And Mick and I came from Exciter and The Boys, which was our band's previous to, to, to Dockin. We agreed to be in Dockin. Uh, so we get in this we get in this room and uh, that doesn't lock and and there's one bed. So we all have to sleep of you know, not homophobic, but I mean Jesus, come on. Those aren't pillows. And we get in bed and there's this, like, where's the shower? So there's this uh, cubicle thing in the middle of the room with no privacy, glass on four sides. It's a shower in the center of the room, a shower, you know, with the doors, you know. So basically that was our entertainment was watching each other shower, which is, again, gay. Um and then the other thing we did was it was the, the, we were right next to the red light district in Hamburg and we had no money. I mean, virtually no money. So all we would do every day uh, and we were across a lake, but the lake was frozen. So we would have to walk across this three mile, it's called the Ulster, uh, right off zero Strassen, And we would have to hike three miles across this frozen lake, uh, to the red light district where all the action was. And maybe we could afford a slice of pizza that day and, and just watch all the sex shows. And, uh, and, uh, they had this one particular kind of sex show where you would be in these booths and all the sex would be occurring in the middle of room there. And all the booths were around it. So you would put a mark back then before the Euro and you'd have marks and you put a mark in, which was like a dollar or a quarter or whatever. And the window would go up and you could watch the what the action was going on and do whatever you wanted to do, right? What I would always, what would happen every day when, when that happened is I'd see one of the other windows go up on the other side of the circle and it would be somebody I knew. So it'd be Mick. I'd, hey, Mick, Mick, you can't hear me. You know, these are just like soundproof booths or whatever. Mick, Mick, what's going on? What's going on? I'd be waving to him. But he didn't see me and he'd be, he'd be kind of busy. I don't know exactly what he was, he was sort of forking. You know, a little sweat on the brow, a little intense jugular poking out. I don't know what the hell was going on. And then the then the booths are going, once your money runs out, the, the thing goes down. And I go, Mick, Mick, Mick. And they go down, and I then my thing would go down. So I have to put in another quarter, and then my thing go up, and then Mick's would go up. Hey, Mick, Mick, what's up, what's up? Or Don, whoever it was. And, uh, and, and uh, that was our life. And then we got a gig, and we play all these fantastic old venues that, didn't really seem so fantastic, but they had great legacies like the Star Lounge and you know these places in in Germany and, and other places in Europe that were the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Hendrix and Albert King played. It was just fantastic, you know, like you know zebra stripe furniture and just really tacky and amazing. And so we we play and we weren't very good back then, by the way. But we were we were just you know evolving and emerging, figuring it out and. Uh, then we finally got our big break. We got a gig for a 
prostitution is legal in Europe, and, and so they have these, it's an industry there, and so they have these uh, conventions, uh, pimp prostitute conventions. And uh, so they hired us to be one of some of the entertainment. And uh, and it was uh, at the CP Hotel, and they had a ballroom and everything. And so we're in the dressing room. We're in a dressing room with a transvestite, whatever, group. Well, that was interesting. And so we're getting dressed and everything, and, and we go out to play. And and, uh, and the one rule was don't look at the girls. Don't talk to the girls. Last thing these girls want to see is you know what. This is this is their one night off right. with their pimp. <laughs> you know, the pimps, their gold rings and their giant mink coats and their you know i mean it was right this was over the top unbelievable pimp pimpage it was crazy and uh uh and uh it, it got worse from there i don't know if i want to i don't want to go into details beyond that but uh there's a lot of things that happened yeah so we we uh uh so we we finally we, we get into the studio we get a, uh, and we were in a studio with the Scorpions and Rory Gallagher in Germany. We're on was in the other rooms, and so we were, you know, we talked to him, hang out with him, and everything. It was pretty cool. And I remember the guitar player. Yeah, right time we'd sit down because we we ate at a communal little dining room where the the mother of the studio owner producer Dirk, uh, Peter Dirks, his mother was the Fraud Dirks, that was her name. She would bring out the food, you know, apron on, everything, all, all the benches and bands that all eat together, which is pretty cool. And I always had my guitar on me back then. I'd play guitar, you know, in my sleep. So I'd sit down and play my guitar. And the guitar player, Matthias, would always sit next to me. And he'd always ask me, and we'd be eating, and I'd be, you know, eating my whatever the hell it's called, terrible German food. And maybe he'd be like, what, what was that you played? Show me that again. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, and crumbs all over it, dripping gravy on it, something like oh, he'll show me that again. Maybe he keeps showing a show, he brings his guitar, he copies it. I go, okay, great. It, dinner be over, they clean the tables, they go in the back in the A studio, it's right there. We were down in the basement, or right? we had to go outside, go down. We're working with Michael Wagner down in the basement. Uh, they were in the big room, which was right there off the off the dining area. So I'd hear them when they started playing. I'm like, wait a minute. He'd go right in and play what I just showed him <laughs> and put it on the album. So I go in there to be tracking, you know, with Dieter Dirks. I would be like, and it was Blackout was the name of the album. And I got the album and I listened to the solos. I'm like, he did this all over the record. All this shit that he was just like, hey man, show me that. Okay, cool. Oh, show me that. Oh, cool. You go in and play it on the record. Tell Shameless. Me. Tell me, it's crazy. Tell me, just tell me, because I lived, I lived in L.A. And when I would moved out in the '90s to L.A., no, the 2000s, 2009, the, the Sunset Strip wasn't like it was when you guys were breaking. Just tell me how crazy the Sunset Strip was when metal was just really exploding. I mean, is it is it as true as what everyone said? People just constantly packed, people putting up flyers. I mean, what was your experience? Uh, yeah, it was like. Uh it was a wild, it was the wild west and it was very exciting and the rules weren't written yet so that we were just kind of making shit up as we we're going along. So a lot of the bands were really different. You know, they, 
uh, that there was a, I forget what they were called. There was some band that was a magic band where they had a huge fountain on stage and holograms and smoke and, 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 and all this stuff and, and these outfits, almost like angel, you know, and they would have this light show and lasers. It was just insane. But that, there was only one of those, you know, and then we had uh, a la carte who were like these, they, they were all heroin addicts and it was a trio and they sounded like ZZ Tops. They were great players, great band. Uh, Kevin was an insane guitar player, but but in the Billy Gibbons brain uh, realm, you know, great tone. And but they were they were all wiped down on smack, and they would be then they would dress up in lingerie like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you get this three piece come out there, sounding like ZZ Top, all drugged out on smack, but awesome in lingerie. So there was that. Then you had Van Halen, you had Quiet Riot, you had the Dogs, you had all Kim Fowley's bands, or like uh, uh, what were they called? Uh, they had some space band, uh, Laser X or something. That wasn't Laser X, something like that. You had the Runaways, uh, uh, but you had this, this they had some space band, Zoltar something or other. And they and they all had you know you see them in Hollywood and they all had their foil hats on with the antennas and they had to have a different language. He forced them to speak a different language, space language. Just make it up, but always be in character wherever you're going. That was his rule. Kim Fowley was this like dictator, manager, supposedly creative, you know, guy, and he would tell you what to do. He didn't care if you played good. He didn't care if you had good songs. He just wanted. It's all about image. A thousand percent about image. And uh, and he actually wanted to manage us at one point, and he told us you have to be from outer space, and you have to change your name, and you have to, you have to be not too click too, and you have to invent this language, and you have to wear the foil, and you have to make up outfits, you know, out of whatever, look like you're from space, and always be from outer space. You got to believe it, and you got to live it. I was like, ah, guys, I don't know. Be cool to work with Kim Fowley, but I mean, question really cut out for this. I don't know. Quisp and Quake. There you go. It goes back to the cereal, the Quake we talked about. See that? You would have been perfect. Where's the Quake? What happened to the Quake? Bring back the Quake. I like Quake a lot better than Quick. Yes, but well, Quake was better. That's why I learned. But so, so what was? How did you? You know, when did you guys finally get your break? When did Doc and get their break? We never got a break. Break. I mean, there wasn't this, this, you know, this thing that happened where everything changed afterwards. It was. It's just. It was a very slow process of ebb and flow uh like we got a don got a, a some kind of a publishing deal in europe i believe it was in germany with ralph barrio who also owned uh, uh this gentleman that owned uh he owned licensing for a lot of the uh hanna barbera cartoon commercials i remember that i went to his office a few times and he's a very kind of rough german guy just you know, and uh, he so he Don did a deal with him. I later I found out years later that what Don sold him was my songs that I had written for my band that Don used to open up for. One was called Paris is Burning. Uh, had uh, in in the middle, I think, and there was one other one. And these were actually listed on the contract, which I which I got to see at some point. Um, I can't remember how I did, but, and so I brought this up to him. I said, John, Don, where's the, 
this is my songs. You wrote your name as the writer of the song, that you owned it. Uh, obviously, that's not true. So where's this 25, 35,000 Deutschmarks that you got? He goes, oh, I spent all that. Hmm. Nice way to start a band, you know what I mean? So that was the beginning of our problems as far as him and I. We had issues with those kinds of things. We didn't have issues personally, if you can separate personal from that. But, you know, I mean, we had a decent enough time. We could coexist and, and have a good time on stage and on tour and making records. But there was always that underlying thing with that and things like that that occurred that was the basis for our what turned into be this thing where it was George and Don hate each other. And we have this <laughs> oil and water relationship, which wasn't really true. It was fabricated by the record company to, to sell records. Um, but anyways, but that was unfortunate. Yeah. I found out that he had done that. It was really uh, bothered me. Um, but we continued on and it was a way to work. But uh, what was the question? That's all I wanted to hear. I just want to hear about your guitaring. Do you, do, you, do you feel you get better at guitar over the years? Have you felt like you've developed or, you know, do you practice a lot or what keeps you being this guitar legend? Well, I used to practice a lot, but then they started, uh, the record company started like making me do all these interviews during my <laughs> practice time. So then I <laughs> really have time to practice because I had other shit to do, you know, pick up the kids, pick up the dog from the vet and I have to go do the other thing and then pick, you know, uh, just kidding. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, it does, it really does depend on, uh, uh, how much I, I put into it just like anything else. Um, but since I do a lot of recording and a good amount of touring that, that on me most of the time. So I'm getting my practice in and yeah, I practice, you know, because nowadays with all the internet stuff, you know, I do, um, Instagram and I do uh, Patreon, uh, I've got to keep content. I've got to keep creating content. That's, you know, usually guitar related content. So I'm doing lessons and things like that. So that keeps me busy. Um, you know, I teach, uh, I'll do, uh, I'll do some of these things where, um, I forget what they're actually called, but you know, it'd be Paul Gilbert and myself and, you know, five or six other like legend, great, amazing guitar players. And, and we do these things where, you know, a few hundred people sign up and it's this whole workshop for a week, you know. So that's intense. So you're playing guitar 12 hours a day. Um, and I'm, I'm in the studio a lot writing and, and, and recording. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and then at some point I got to make sure I don't uh, get to the point where I just get uninterested because I'm just playing so much. I'm not even exciting myself anymore with what I'm playing. <laughs> It's just kind of, I keep doing the same thing. So sometimes I, I walk away and I do other stuff. And then when I come back, it's all oh, fresh and new and exciting. And I'm playing and I'm, ex and I'm getting off on what I'm playing. And, and I got to keep that balance. So, you know, if, if, if I could have one or the other, if, if I could like, well, you know, what kind of guitar player would you rather be? Would you rather be that guy that just sits there and woodsheds, you know, eight hours a day like Eddie did and just be totally inside your playing and consistent and at a hundred, you know, a hundred percent capacity all the time. Or would you rather be that guy that's maybe not always, you know, uh, technically, you know, a hundred percent there, but you're having 
fun with it. You're getting off on your own ideas and you're playing and you're, and you're, and you're almost hearing it more like a, uh, like the fan would hear it where, you know, you're getting off on your own playing. There's that, I try to do be somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> and, that, and that requires you to walk away from it sometimes. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up. I just want to ask you, cause I know you have a lot of go to practice and you have to figure out the, the, the design for the, the bucks, the lynch bucks. Looking which, which back, show? just give me a few of the highlights of your career. When you look back and you go, man, I've had a great life. Just give me a few highlights of your career in your eyes to you. Not what other people will say like, oh, you sold this to you. What are some of your highlights of your career? Uh, highlights. Uh, well, I'm going to be 100,000% honest with you here. The highlights of the career weren't musical things. The highlights of the career were financial things. And fi- and, and that's important, you know, and I, and I get sick of people talk, you know, when you talk about the business and the, the music and the money and stuff, they're like, well, that's, you know, antithetical to the, the purity of the art, artistic endeavor. I was like, well, no, it's, I mean, it's just an exchange of energy. It's how organisms operate. Uh, uh, so... Uh, I love the game, you know, I love the business of it. And when we got to the point in my life where as I was poor at, for a long period, for a very big portion of my life, uh, and I've grown up with a work ethic. My father told me, you know, taught me work is love. So I've been, you know, working since I was a kid, you know, little kid. So, and I, and I pride myself in that. Uh, so, uh, when I got to the point where in my life where it's like I, I can actually feel like I can breathe and I don't have to be, you know, climbing every mountain, you know, uphill both ways, carrying a hundred pound load of rocks in the winter, you know, <laughs> uh, I can actually let go a little bit and enjoy the process rather than be grinding and grinding and grinding. Uh, that that was really a point in my life where it, it changed for me, where I felt like I've achieved something. I'm not sure what I would call it, but I felt like I just kind of reached a, a point where I have some a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more freedom, and a little bit more security from, from my family. And that was probably the highlight of my musical journey. And I'm sorry, I, I, you think it would be like a musical thing, but it's not, it's, it's that. No, that makes sense, though, because, you know, you're right. Everyone talks about the grind, the grind, but the grind sucks. You know, you talk to people who've never lived, like, paycheck to paycheck. They don't get how much it sucks. They go, oh, yeah, you're, when, I did, when I got out of college, I was a touring stand-up comedian. I wasn't making a lot of money. People are like, oh, you're doing what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, but you're living in a big fucking house. <laughs> you're not worried about this. I said, I got to worry about if a gig falls out, I got to find another gig. And that's the thing people don't understand, and I think... Once you do make the money and you feel comfortable, I think that you can create better. I just, just be me. I may be wrong about that, but I think you can because you go, I don't have to worry about all this other shit. I can just concentrate on picking up, like if you pick up the guitar and just do what I have to do. You know, I think we play better and perform better, think better, whatever, when we're relaxed, as you just said. And you're breathing, you're relaxed, you're not, you know, you don't have fight or flight. Uh, when you're poor, 
and desperate, all the, you are activated with all those other things, and you're not playing at your best. So I remember I wasn't relaxed. I was never relaxed. I was always in the studio, so like, look, everything's on the line. I got to play the best solo in the world. This is my one. I got to get this right. Tons of pressure. You're frustrated. You have anxiety. You're stressed. You're not breathing. Uh, I used to do this thing on stage where I, I haven't done it in, in many, many, many years, but uh, regularly I would hyperventilate on stage to the point of passing out and going to the hospital on big stages with Dawkins all the time. And, uh, and it was very worrisome <laughs> because I would get myself so wound up that, you know, I had to prove myself. This is my shot. This is my one shot to kind of break through out of anonymity and poverty and prove that I matter and that I have something to say. And I go out there and I would breathe and I, my arms would stiffen up and I, and I, or I would, you know, just whatever I did. And I just, I, I didn't play well, you know, nowadays I'm relaxed. You know, I got a little bit of money in the bank. You know, the world's not, walls are not collapsing in around me. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. My family's okay. Uh, I have multiple projects. I have lots of friends that I play with and do different things. And, and we play with music. You know, it's not this do or die thing. And we're very passionate about it. And I always do my best work. But I just learned to get out of my own way. And that was a giant, giant lesson for me. And that came with security. And that security came from money. So when people say money doesn't matter, it's like, uh, yeah, it does, up to a point. That's you true, though. Anyway, George, it's been great. Uh, it's uh, here, Smile real quick so I can take a picture of you because I'm going to put it on my wall. Okay, so peep, your website is georgelynch.com. Now, Instagram, Twitter, you, you're very involved with all of that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Patreon, uh, Instagram. Twitter to a lesser extent, TikTok to a very small extent. I think we're exposed there, but I don't really work it. Uh, uh, Facebook, but uh, Patreon is where I do my most personal interaction with the fans, and that's that's something people pay ten bucks a month, and I do guitar lessons uh, every week and lifestyle stuff. I, I mean, for an example, just very briefly, uh, I was just spent. Uh, my wife and I spent five weeks at our at our place out in. Uh, uh, near Taos, New Mexico, and uh, where we're at half the year, and we were up there, and we were uh, castrating sheep with a straight razor. No, you weren't on okay. Patreon. You, you say you're, and what do you do with the? Uh, uh, is that part of the uh, the lynch buck, the the the, uh, the sheep testicle? Do people can people get that? Like, if if I was subscribed to Patreon, and if I was to pay fifteen dollars a month, would I get an actual sheep testicle? That's a good idea, and that's See, why you need to be my manager because I didn't think of. <laughs> I just threw the testicles away, fed them to the hogs, actually. But uh, there's, yeah, there's a there's a few different ways to uh, neuter a, a, a little baby boy lamb. Uh, the most effective way is to get a straight razor, cut off the bottom, have one person hold it down while the other person cuts off the bottom end of the scrotum pulls the two white testes out, including the whole stem that's with it. You got to get that all out. And then they're fine. You don't cauterize them. Uh, you don't put any 
medication on or anything. They heal it right up. I mean, it's clean Rocky Mountain air and water, and they you just you get them on their feet. They go away, and they, they heal up just fine. Well, there you go. I want to thank you, George. This has been a lot of fun, dude. This has been fun. People, go go to George's website, georgelynch.com. Follow him. Go on the Patreon. I, he, I don't know. He might be actually be cutting sheep testicles on there. I, I don't know if it's true, but now I sort of want to join. So, people, if you want to see a George Lynch, that's good. That's gonna be that's gonna be the magazine. That's what's gonna be like the the clickbait. George Lynch castrates sheep. He'll cut you. Yeah. <laughs> so people go to see George Lynch. Go to my, my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 950 episodes up there. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.